0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, choir and orchestra. Wow, that was great. Awesome. I'll tell you what, that blessed my heart. And uh, so it is a great joy to be back in Lubbock, Texas. Kind and I drove uh, last, uh, yesterday afternoon. We, we live in Rowlett on, uh, on the east side of Dallas. And uh, so it's about a five and a half, five and a half hour drive. And the last two and a half hours we drove, it was dark. And the uh, sun had gone down. It was a beautiful drive that last two and a half hours. And, um, <clears throat> <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. It, it really is. You got these, you got all these fans. I know it gets hot in the summertime. They're building you all these fans out here to help cool things down. And, and I know that's a blessing. And, uh man, they got them everywhere, I'm telling you. And, and uh, but we did see some uh, pretty country too and some cows and, and just some other stuff. And, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but when we got here, um, we were getting ready to go in the hotel. My wife had my, 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 had my suit uh, on a hanger, and she grabbed it. And I, I, She was kind of squeezing. I, I started to tell her, honey, don't squeeze too hard. That shirt's been ironed, and she, she's the one that ironed it. And, uh, <laughs> but um, then it dawned on me before I get the words out that I had forgotten my shirt. I don't think I've ever done that, ever. I forgot my shirt. So I said, honey, you go ahead and get us checked in. I'm going to Walmart. Do you know Walmart doesn't have any dress shirts for men? I think they used to, but I don't think people dress up anymore. And so so I called the pastor, and he said, what size are you? He said, that's my size. I said, great you mind bringing it over? So I, my wife, I, I kind of tricked her. I didn't even tell you this. I told her, I guess I'm just going to wear this Marine Corps t-shirt that I got. <laughs> she couldn't believe it that I was going to do it. She couldn't believe I wasn't more desperate. I, we'll call. I said, the pastor doesn't have anything. I, we'll call some of the staff members. I said, I don't have their numbers. I don't want to bother the pastor. I'm just going to wear this t-shirt in the morning. About that time, the knock comes on the door, so I got her good. And, And so I don't know where she's in here or not. Connie, are you in here? She was out at the uh, table a little while ago. So she was in here for this first service. She loved the first service. She don't love y'all, but that's... (laughs) You could be able to meet her afterwards. Uh, On April the 28th, we will celebrate 50 years of being married. can't believe it. I can't believe it. And uh, but thank you for letting me come back. I I love uh Southcrest Baptist Church. It, it, I tell people all, all the time, this is truly one of the great churches in the state of Texas. And you and I don't know if you know how blessed you are or not. I hope you don't take for granted what God has given you here at Southcrest. Thank you, Pastor David and his precious wife Laura and the staff, all this team and the people here have done remarkable work. Some great, great people that I've been privileged to meet here in the in the last few years. How many of you have never heard me speak? Hold up your hand. You, look at that. Look at that, Pastor. And my word. Uh, so, I want you to take your Bibles to the book of the Revelation, chapter number 12. The book of the Revelation and chapter number 12. And uh, so, I'm going to do something that I did, uh, The first time that I was here at the church. Uh, Last time I was here, I preached on the woman at the well. But this, uh, I'm gonna give my story this morning. So if you heard my story four years ago, uh, and and if you remember it real well, my son was, we, my family traveled me the first four years. We were in evangelism. We had a 40-foot 5th wheel trailer and a four-door pickup truck. And that was our home for four years, 320 square foot of living space, five of us. And I never heard my wife complain the first time. And, uh, but Brian was about nine. We were in Jacksonville, Florida, and he came up after the service he, and he heard me give my story again. He said, Daddy, he said, if you, he said, if you ever get sick, he said, I can give your story for you. Makes you feel wanted, and uh, <laughs> but if you've heard it, here's what I ask people to do: if you if you know my story real well, just pray that God would use it to speak to others. and And uh, Sunday morning for me as an evangelist is basically for lost people and for people that are away from God and people that really need to hear uh, a message from, from the Lord. So, in talking about my story, let's talk about. Your story, just a little bit as well. Stories are important. When you go out to the cemetery and you see a headstone, there's enough information on that headstone. We know something about the person that is buried in that particular spot. We know their name, of course, and then maybe there's a favorite Bible verse or something about their military career, their children, their family. But then there's always the dates. There's the there's the two dates. There's the date that the person was born. And then there's the date that the person died. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, more important than the two dates, in between the two dates, they always have a little dash. And it's what's on your dash that matters the most. What happened from the time that you took your first breath until the moment that you take your last breath? That's your story. That's your testimony. I hold in my hand a a book book of stories Old Testament and and New Testament as well and and, uh, it all starts with Adam did you men ever stop to think what it would have been like to have been Adam Adam had a wife and never had a (laughs) mother-in-law that's a great story I do a story in Noah, Abraham, Moses had stories, Joshua and Isaac had stories, David and Daniel, Shadrach, Elijah all had stories, Samson and Jonah, Nehemiah, Stephen and John and Zacchaeus and Peter and Paul. And, and hey, there's a whole chapter in the book of Hebrews that we often refer to as the faith chapter, and that chapter, there's one man after the other listed because of their great faith stories. And then right in the middle of all these men, there's a woman by the name of Rahab. Do you know what Rahab was? Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a harlot. And yet there comes a day in her life when she too puts her faith and her trust in God, and God thinks so much of her faith, He puts her in the faith chapter. I'm speaking to someone right now, and you feel like that you've blown it. You've messed up. You're shipwrecked. You've made a mess of things. And you're thinking, I can't have a story. I can't have a testimony. I can't put any good stuff on my dash. But I've got good news for you. Two things. Number one, you're in this room right now, and you're breathing oxygen. You're alive. And number two, my God is a God of a second chance, and sometimes a third, and sometimes even more, as some of us can testify. And God is giving you another opportunity today. You can make your life count for Him from this day forward. Look at Revelation chapter 12. Let's begin at verse 7. And There was war in heaven. This is the first war. There's going to be another war in chapter 19, the war to end all wars. We clamor for peace today, but there's no peace in this world. There's wars, and there's rumors of wars right now as I speak to you. But there will be a day when the Lord himself will come and sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem and rule and reign for a thousand glorious years, and that will be the time when the lion will lay down with the lamb, and there will be peace, lasting peace for a thousand years on this earth. But that will be after the last war is fought. Look at verse 7 again. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. And neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Now, the question is, how would they overcome this accuser? This one that is referred to as the old serpent, the uh, devil, the Satan, the great dragon. How would they overcome? And an even better question for you and I today, how are we going to overcome? Two ways. And the very next verse tells us, are you ready? Here it is. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. What's your story? What's your testimony? I was raised in a preacher's home. My dad was a Southern Baptist pastor. You listen to this. For 60 years, you imagine that? 60 years faithfully. He was my mentor. God called me to preach. And my dad was an amazing man. One of the one well, of the hardest working man I've ever known in my life. For years, he was a bivocational pastor. He pastored a church. He drove a school bus and he roofed houses all in one day. And he took us seriously. He was in that little church. And um, my mom, so then my mom was a pastor's wife for 60 years. She went to heaven three years ago today. And um, so we were raised in a great home. And again, it wasn't a perfect home at all, but it was a great home. And uh, there were five of us kids. And you imagine, we lived in maybe a thousand square foot home. I don't even think it was that big, but there were seven of us. We have one bathroom. You imagine getting ready to go to church on Sunday morning, there's one bathroom. There's one sister, our older sister, and there's four of us boys. And guess who got the most use of the bathroom? <laughs> and uh, but but you know what? We learn things at home. We were taught things at home. It's good, parents, it's good for you to be in church. It's good for you to take your children to church. You ought to have this day dedicated and set apart. Every Sunday, your children ought to know there's no question marks, there's no doubts about it. We're going to the house of God come Sunday morning. We're going to church. And there's nothing else. We don't, the Bible says, seek you first. The kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things should be added to you. We're messed up in America today because we're putting everything before God. Amen. You teach your children the Word of God. You pray with them and you, and you fellowship with them and you talk and you invest in their life. Hey, parents, if you don't take time for your children, somebody's going to come along that will and it may be someone you don't want to. Our parents invested in our lives and we learned things. When I was only 10, the most important thing that would ever happen in my life happened on a Sunday morning in January, North City Baptist Church, Southern Illinois, in my dad's church. And that that morning, as a 10 year old boy, for the first time that I could ever remember, I got under conviction. I don't know if you know what conviction is. The best I can explain other people can probably do a better job of explaining it than me. But for me, the way it is, it's like like when God himself comes to you personally and begins to speak to you personally about big stuff like life and death and heaven and hell and eternity. And man, when conviction comes to you, Especially if you're like in a church setting like we're in right right now, and the conviction comes to you, you're probably the most miserable person in the room. You would like for the preacher to shut up. No more singing. Somebody help me. Get me out of here. But let me tell you something, friend. If conviction was to come to you today while I'm speaking, do you know what you ought to do? You ought to thank God for it. You know what it means? It means God loves you. It means this one true and holy God loves you. And it means he want, he's trying to draw you unto himself. It means he wants to have a personal relationship with you. It means he wants you to spend all of eternity with him in this awesome place called heaven. And that morning as a 10-year-old boy conviction came to my life. Now, I tell you, you know, I've already been going to church a long time. I've been going to church since 9 months before I was ever born. So in 10 years, I've already heard a lot of Sunday school lessons. I've heard a lot of sermons, but that morning was different. And conviction came. And and when the invitation started, I was really miserable. All I could see was hell. Somebody said, well, you shouldn't get saved just to, just to stay out of hell. Maybe not, but that's not a bad reason to get saved. <laughs> and I left my seat during the invitation, and I went and knelt at, a, at the altar. My mom came and dealt the me a 10-year-old boy. I repented of my sins. I received Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior, and I got born into the family of God. And I'm here to tell you that that is the greatest thing that has ever happened in my life. And if you've been saved, that's the greatest thing that has ever happened in your life. Yes. Now, I've got to be up front. I've got to tell you this. If you've never been saved, then your life is incomplete. You may be the richest person in Lubbock, Texas. You may have more money than all the rest of us put together. But if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. You may be the smartest person. You may be the most educated person in this room right now. But if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. You may be the most beautiful woman in the county. You may be the strongest man in the county. But if you don't know Jesus, then your life is incomplete. Amen. Today, you need Jesus. I was so excited when I got saved. I told family and friends what had happened in my life. But then when I became a teenager, something else happened in my life. It never happened overnight, but gradually I began to put things before God. Football and basketball and baseball and track and field, all kinds of sports. And my dad told me more than one time, Tim, there's nothing wrong with you playing ball unless you put it before God. Hey, I didn't want to listen to that. And I began to put these things before God. And when I did, I began to have problems. I began to rebel. I rebelled at school. I rebelled against God. And I rebelled against mom and dad. You say, Tim, what your parents do when you rebel? They had never read in their doctor Spock's books on child psychology. He, they didn't even know who the fellow was. In this child psychology, he actually believed that if a child was frustrated, whatever it took to get the frustration out, let him do it. If he wanted to pick up a rock and throw it through the window, if that would help him get his frustration out, let him throw the rock through the window. Well, my dad had other ways of getting the frustration out. (laughs) We lived on a farm for a while. Behind the farmhouse was a willow tree. I don't know whether you know what willow trees are good for or not, but you don't get any fruit off of them. They're not even a good shade tree. The only thing they're good for is to get a switch off of. (laughs) The only thing I did back in those days was that tree to die. It never did die. I'd have to go out and get my own switch. And, man, I'd be hurting before I got back because I knew what was about to happen. And they always talked to us, always talked to us before they spanked us. And they'd say something, they'd say something like this. They'd say, Tim, this is going to hurt me a whole lot worse than it's going to hurt you. And I thought, isn't that dumb? If you give me that switch, I'll show you it's going to hurt the worst. <laughs> I said many times, even before I joined the Marines, that I served under the stars and the stripes. My dad furnished the stripes. I saw all the stars. <laughs> they believed in old-fashioned discipline, but many times I would slip out behind their back to do what I wanted to do. I attended public school. Most of my friends were not saved. Most of their parents were not Christians. And I made up my mind as a teenager that I could live my own life. My junior year in high school, I set records in the long jump and the hurdles winning ribbons and medals, but all the time getting further and further and further away from God. You say, Tim, what did God do? God declares in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 19, as many as I love. well, Now, now let me say those words one more time. This, This is God saying this in Revelation 3, 19. God said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Five of my high school friends were killed in car wrecks. Every time I would see one of them in a casket, I knew that it very easily could have been me. And God would speak to my heart, but I wouldn't listen. I kept running. I kept rebelling. I graduated from high school. I started college of the day, working nights. In the meantime, my life became one disaster after the other. And I thought that it couldn't get any worse. But it wasn't long until I got fired from my job. I got kicked out of college. Nowhere to go. Nothing to do. And again, my life full of confusion. Walking down the street in my hometown, McLeansboro, Illinois. I went by the post office, and I noticed a sign. I had seen the sign before, but it never got my attention like it did that day. It was a picture of a young man in a sharp-looking uniform. At the top of the sign, it said, The Marines are looking for a few good men. I was so full of myself. I was so egotistical. I actually went in and told them that I found what they were looking for. (laughs) Now, Young people to be real frank with you, I was tired of living at home. I wanted a change. I wanted something different. I was tired of being told what time to go to bed, what time to get out of bed, and how to get my hair cut, and what I could do and could not do. So I joined the United States Marine Corps. <laughs> that wasn't the most intelligent thing I ever did. They put me on a Greyhound bus, sent me to Paris Island, South Carolina. I got off that bus, and I met that guy they called Drill Instructor. Man, I was there less than 24 hours when I decided I didn't like him, and he didn't like me. <laughs> but you know the real reason why I didn't like him? He was in authority, and I didn't like authority. I was rebellious toward all authority, but I was soon to discover that no matter where I would ever go in this life, that there would always be authority with God being the supreme in all authority. I laid awake nights, many nights, platoon 305, thinking about my life, the shame and the disgrace that i brought to my dad's ministry, to my own family. My attitude began to change in boot camp. The Marines had some things to help it change. I... I graduated from boot camp with a meritorious promotion, private to private first class. Went to ITR, then the engineering school at Camp Lejeune. Graduated with another meritorious promotion, private first class the lance corporal. And then I received my orders that I was to go to South Vietnam. I had three weeks leave before I was to go to Nam, and I went home to Southern Illinois be with my parents and on Sunday before I was to leave on Monday I went to church with mom and dad. And in the service that morning I I really did think that I made things right with God. That I was going to stand for Him. Next Monday, on Monday mom and dad took me to St. Louis and I got on that plane and it no more got off the runway and I basically I told God I couldn't do it. These men are Marines. They'll laugh at me. They'll make fun of me. They'll ridicule me. Went to Vietnam. Was there for nine months. And I didn't go back to doing a lot of the things that I had done before. But friend, listen to me carefully. If you're not for the Lord, then you're against Him. For the Christian in this room, for the believer, listen to me right now. There is no middle ground today. You're either helping the cause of Jesus Christ or you're hurting the cause of Jesus Christ. I had opportunity after opportunity to live for God. My mom sent me a Bible. She wrote in the front of that Bible, Tim. She wrote a lot of things in the front of that Bible for me, but the one thing she wrote the biggest, she said, Tim, this Bible can keep you from sin, or sin can keep you from this Bible. I put it in the bottom of my footlocker. I had no prayer life, I had no testimony. It was a black Marine in my squad by the name of Lee Gore. Lee and I flew to Vietnam on the same plane. We were the best of friends. He was a Christian. Living for God. I was saved, but I was running from God. Many times I watched as he sat down to Edridge rack and read his Bible, openly witnessed and talked to other Marines about the Lord. And I knew this was the life. I knew this was the story. I knew this was the testimony that I was supposed to have. But I wouldn't do it. 30 days left in Nam, and my top sergeant offered me a desk job. A desk job was coveted, but you didn't have to go back out to the field, to the, to the bush anymore, and that's where the primary danger was. But for some reason, I told him that I'd rather spend the rest of my time with my own men. I was told to take them on a mine sweep. I've been on a lot of minesweeps, numerous minesweeps. The only thing particularly different about this one was that some of my men were, were fairly new in Vietnam. Some have only been there a few weeks. There was a couple just a few days. And I remember how, when it was like it was when I went on my first minesweep and how nervous I was. It's a lot different than walking on a, a, a sweep back in the States where this is, this is lives of uh, mines and live rounds. And so I got my men together early that morning, March the 8th, 1971. I told my men that day that I would walk point. Point man was the first man of the squad. 15, 20 meters, another Marine. 15, 20 meters, another Marine. And we'd be staggered out in that kind of formation. Normally, I would have been in the back of the squad with a radarman, the corpsman, the lieutenant. wasn't trying to be a hero or anything like that. And again, our job was to locate landmines and rounds that had not yet been detonated and to clear the area of those devices. We walked that morning without any trouble. We found a couple of rounds. We detonated them, and we stopped at noon hour to eat. While we were eating, my friend, my best friend, Lee, asked me if I wanted him to take over his point. He could have very easily have done it. He was as well-trained as I. But for some reason, I told him I would finish the day. And then the next day, he would walk point. We picked up where we left off from. And 45 minutes later, I stepped on a 60-pound mine. It blew me several feet into the air. It ripped both of my legs off of my body. I should have been killed instantly. It was a big enough mine to destroy a jeep. We had entered a major minefield. The very exact moment that I stepped on a mine, a South Korean Marine that was serving with us stepped on a mine, lost one of his legs. Our bulldozer driver set his blade down on a mine, and now there's noise and smoke and chaos and confusion, and, and I'm in extreme pain. I was only unconscious for a couple of moments. I knew I'd been hit. I didn't know how serious it was. In the midst of all the stuff that was going on around us, I looked up, my head was laying in the lap, Corporal Lee Gore. He wasn't cussing the president or the communists or the Vietnamese or no one else. Tears streaming down his face, openly and out loud praying and asking God to help me. And then that day I prayed. I didn't want to die. I wanted to live. And um, it, it was something like this. Lord, if you'll let me live and get back home to mom and dad, I'll do with my life what you want me to do. Well, I'd made God so many promises on so many other occasions, but I never meant it like I meant it that day. They came with a medevac chopper, carried me to the hospital ship the USS Sanctuary. Second day I was on that ship. Two naval doctors basically gave up hope. Infection had sent in, a high degree temperature, a lot of complications. They never expected me to live. Dr. Robert Bailey was one of those doctors, and we were reunited in Garland, Texas, in a surprise reunion years ago, a thousand people there that night. And uh, he told the people that they did not expect me to live because of the seriousness of my wounds. And God used him in a miraculous way later in my life. And um, but God had a plan for my life. I lay on the hospital ship for two weeks unconscious most of the time. They took me to the island of Guam to the naval hospital where I spent the next two weeks unconscious most of that time. I weighed 187 pounds before I was hit. The island of Guam, I weighed a little less than 80 80 pounds. During that first four-week period, mom and dad received visits from the Marines, the Red Cross, numerous telegrams. And from what they had been told, they they didn't expect to see the oldest son alive again. But God had a plan for my life. Earl Lewis was the fifth man back on the minesweep that day. He would only been in country for six weeks. He told Connie and I that it looked like someone had taken a five-gallon bucket of red paint and just poured it all over me. He said, not one of my men thought that I would survive... He came to hear me speak in Dayton, Ohio a few years ago. When the invitation was given, he came and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Pastor Lynn baptized him. He's still to this day a faithful member of that church. God had a plan for my life. Ray Birchie came to hear me in Danville, Virginia. Ray was the radio man on the mine sweep that day. He told my family that when they put me on the medevac chopper to go to the hospital ship, that not a one of my men thought that I would be alive by the time we reached the ship which was only a 20-minute flight. God had a plan for my life. Over two years ago in October, Ray came to hear me again in Warren, Ohio. And when the invitation was given, again, he was the first to come give his heart to Jesus Christ. God had a plan for my life. And uh, Lee Gore, the Marine I told you about, my best friend, we've been together numerous times over the years. The latest time was at Paris Island, where I spoke to thousands and thousands of Marines and recruits, and that that was the first time he saw Earl Lewis and Ray Birchie that day, the first time they'd all three been together since they'd left Vietnam. God had a plan. They brought me back to the States, to the Philadelphia Naval Hospital, where I spent the next eight months, eight long months, surgery after surgery after surgery. When the doctors were through and the surgeries were over, I had three inches remaining on my right leg, 11 inches on my left but no other part of my body was hurt. Now, some today would tell us that it was nothing more than an accident. But I remind you, friend, that with God, there are no accidents. God was not asleep on March the 8th, 1971. You see, as a 10-year-old boy, I said yes to Jesus Christ, but as a teenager, I decided that I could live my own life. And I made a choice, a deliberate choice to run. And I ran, and ran and ran until March the 8th, 1971 when the running was over. I went home from the hospital to my dad's church in southern Illinois. I went, I went forward. I was the prodigal son. Come home. I went forward and asked the church to forgive me. And of course they did. And welcomed me with arms wide open. It was in that church in the Sunday school class that I met Connie. We fell in love with each other and were soon married it wasn't long at God's given us three wonderful children, six awesome grandchildren. It wasn't long after we were married that that God called me to preach. Can you imagine that? A Marine in a wheelchair, no legs. Friends and even relatives tried to discourage me. They said it would be so hard, it's so difficult. But I said if that's what God wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I promised him. I pastored for five years in southern Illinois and, and now for the Started my 44th year as an evangelist on January the 1st. And I preach in every state with exception. Oh, no, every state. Last time, I've said so many times that way, Uh, last time I was here I told you I preached in every state with exception of North Dakota. Well, last October, Connie and I flew to Fargo and then we drove to Jamestown where I spoke to about 400 people on Sunday morning. That was my last state. I've been in all 50 states and many, many foreign countries preaching God's Word. And I'm going to tell you now, I've said it so many times. The past nearly 51 years have been the happiest years of my life. Tim, you're in a wheelchair. Your legs are gone. Today I'm in a wheelchair. But today I'm in the will of God. And that, my friend, makes all the difference in the world. Here's how the book of Job says that. Happy is the man whom God correcteth. Wow. Wow. Job 5, 17, you say, Tim, are you telling us that that God would do something like that to a man? No, I'm not telling you that at all. God doesn't necessarily do things to us. He does things for us because he loves us, because he cares for us, and because we are his children. You're saved today, but you're out of the will of God. It's no accident that you're here, friend. It's no accident that I'm here. I firmly believe that God put this meeting together before your pastor and I ever talked, knowing that you would be here. I'm pleading. I'm begging you, don't leave the doors of this building today until you get your heart and your life right with God. And there may be a great number of people listening to me right now, and you've never been saved. Your life's never, ever been changed by the power of God. I'm not talking about being a member of a church. I'm not talking about being baptized. I'm not talking about living a good, clean, moral life. I'm not talking about being a Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Church Christ, Assembly of God, Catholic, Mormon. I'm talking about being saved. I'm talking about your life being changed. So here, here's the deal. You've been so awesome to speak to this morning. I'm getting ready to say the most important words that I would have said here today. So please don't let anything or anyone interrupt the Holy Spirit wants to do here in the next couple of minutes. It may be your friend. maybe someone sitting close to you. And God's speaking to them right now. We don't want to interrupt. Here it is. Are you ready? The most important words. A little over 2,000 years ago, God sent his only son to this earth. God didn't have 20 sons. God didn't have two sons. God had one son, Jesus Christ. He came to this earth born of a virgin. And he lived here on this earth for nearly 33 sinless, spotless years. He did no wrong. The only one to ever live a perfect life on earth was Jesus. And then one day, he walks up Calvary's hill, willingly lays down his life for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the whole world. He hangs on an old rugged cross suspended between heaven and earth and on that cross he sheds his blood and on that cross he dies. God's only son died. They took him off of that cross and they carried him and they put him in a borrowed tomb. Ladies and gentlemen, young people right here, Among other things, is what separates Christianity from every single religion on the face of the earth. For if you were to go to the place where they put the body of Jesus, you wouldn't find him. He's not there. On the third day, he got up out of the grave, bodily, physically arose from the grave, victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over hell. And today, God's Son is alive. Hey. That's the good news. Here's the great news. He wants to come and live in your life. He said, man alive, Tim, how in the world does that happen? How does God's son come and live in my life? You come to this place. And I'm not talking about the geographical building that we're in here. I'm talking about this moment, this time, this place in your life right now, to understand in the sight of this holy God that you're a sinner. The Bible says so. Every one of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. I'm a sinner. Pastor's a sinner. We've all sinned. And it's our sin that separates us from God. It's our sin that keeps us from having a right relationship with God. And it is our sin that would separate us from God for all of eternity in a horrible place called hell. Except for the fact that a price was paid for our sins. God's only son on an old rugged cross paid for my sins. Paid for your sins and for the sins of the world. And today, if you will confess that you're a sinner, All are sin and come short of God's glory. Every one of us. If you'll confess today that you're a sinner, knowing you cannot save yourself, and then you turn to the one who died for you, the one who arose from the grave for you, Jesus Christ. Listen to this. The very moment that you, by faith, say yes to Jesus, you become God's child forever. Wow. Wouldn't you like to know that when you die, that you would spend all of eternity with God in that beautiful place called heaven? He said, well, Tim, I'm not planning on dying anytime soon. And I really don't imagine any of us are planning, but I tell people all the time, you don't have to go to heaven. And you don't have to go to hell. But you can't stay here. You're going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. And it all depends upon what you do with Jesus. Today could be the greatest day of your life. I want you to bow your heads this morning. I'm going to ask that no one move unless it's an emergency. If it's an emergency, we understand. No workers, no counselors, no one moving except for the one that's going to come and sing and play for us. I want you to just... Right now with heads bowed, just draw an imaginary circle around yourself. Please, no one moving unless it's urgent. Most important thing going on in Texas is about to happen right now. I want to ask you a question. When I ask this question, I want you to be honest. Honest with yourself. Honest with God. Honest with this evangelist. How many would say today, Tim, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, If I were to die in the next four minutes in this seat where I'm at, I know that I would go to heaven. Tim, I remember when conviction came to my life, and I too realized that I was a sinner, and I repented of my sins, and I received Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior. And if I were to die right now, I know I'd go to heaven, and I'm not the least bit ashamed of it. No one looking. Let me see your hands today as a way of testimony. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. Oh, what a sight. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. You you can take them down. Christian friend, don't ever be ashamed. Don't ever be embarrassed for a preacher to ask you that question and for you to give testimony. There were some, as a matter of fact, there were many who could not raise your hands. Can I tell you today that I appreciate you being honest? You could have put your hand up, and I wouldn't have known the, the difference, but you would have and God would have. And in just a moment, I want you to let me pray for you. But before I do that, I want to talk to all of you who raised your hands. How many of those of you that raised your hand would say, Tim, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a Christian. But I also know there's some things in my own life that are not right with God. There are some things in my own life the Lord is not pleased with. And I don't want to run. I don't want to rebel. Tim, pray for me today that I could have these things right between me and God. Let me see your hands today. Hold them up high all over this room. Numbers and numbers and numbers of hands. You can take them down. And folks, here's what's going to happen in a moment. We're going to sing one verse of invitation. We may sing two, but that will be all. And I'm going to ask every one of you that raised your hand just now, That when I have you stand to sing, not yet, but when I have you stand to sing, to leave your seat and to go to the nearest aisle. And then I want you to come and stand right here in front of me today. We're going to pray together, and God is going to do something in your life. You're afraid to come to yourself? Ask someone to come with you. If someone's in your way, nudge them. They'll move over. But you need to come. As soon as I have you stand, just begin to leave your seat. Say, I'm going to go with God. I want things right between me and God. You'll never regret it. Now the most important question, where will you spend eternity? For you not only have a soul, you are a soul. You're going to live forever. I won't embarrass you. I won't intimidate you in any form or fashion. But do you care enough about yourself to release enough enough pride to let this evangelist pray for you today? How many in this room, just me and God looking, no one else. You say, Tim, the truth of the matter is I'm not 100% for sure if I were to die right now that I would go to heaven. I could not raise my hand a while ago when all those other people raised theirs or I raised my hand, but I'm still not 100% for sure that if I were to die, I would go to heaven, and I don't want to go to hell. And Tim, I want you to include me in that prayer. No one looking. Tim, include me in that prayer. Let me see your hands right now. Just slip them up high. Just slip them up high. Just slip them up high. Make sure that I see them. Just put them up high. You can take them down. Folks, listen. This will be the greatest day of your life. There's going to be a lot of people coming to stand. And here, Christians, I'm asking you to set the example to be the first from your row. And if you'll come, it'll help these to come to Christ. Remember, one verse, two maybe, from the balcony, from the top the side. It'll take you a little longer. We'll wait, but you need to step out on the very first note. Come and do what God wants you to do. You'll never regret it. Would you stand to your feet? Everyone that's able to stand, stand to your feet. And my friend begins to sing. Come on right now. Come quickly, folks. Right here to the front. If you were serious, come on right now. Come on. Come quickly. Come on, Dad. Come on, Mom. Come on, teenager, young person, young adult. Just come and stand right here today. Take someone by the hand and ask them to come with you. They'll do it. Numbers and numbers of others are coming. Let's sing that second verse, Jared, and it's all we're going to sing right here. Come on. Come on, Dad. Come on, Mom. Sit down and say, I'm going to go with God today. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what my friends think. I'm going to go with God. That's it. Others are coming. Others are coming. Others are coming. Lamb of God. God, I I I come. Our heads are bowed. Christians are praying. Others are making their way forward. We'll wait just a moment. We're not singing anymore. This is it. There's two vital things of this invitation to take care of. And we're going to deal with the most important part first. If you have never been saved, If your life has never been changed by the power of God, again, we're not talking about filling out a card. We're not talking about shaking a preacher's hand. We're not talking about being baptized or christened. We're not talking about living a good, clean, moral life. We're talking about a day when conviction came to you and God changed your life. You say, well, Tim, I think so. Maybe so. You don't have to think or maybe you can know. Today's your day, whether you're here at the front or even there in your seat. In a moment, I'm going to pray out loud what we oftentimes refer to as a sinner's prayer. And if you're not 100% for sure, you're saved. When I pray this prayer out loud, I want you to pray it in your heart. Understand the words themselves don't save you. It's not repeating religious words. You Come to this place to confess that you're a sinner and you're putting your faith in the one who shed his blood for you and the one who died for you and the one who arose from the grave for you, Jesus Christ. So would you pray with me right now? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I know my sins can separate me from you forever. But today, I want to be saved. God, please forgive me of all my sins. Wash me as white as snow. Make me your child. Right now, this very moment, I am trusting Jesus Christ and him alone as my Lord and my Savior. Take me to heaven when I die, for I am now your child. Our heads are still bowed. No one's looking but myself, the pastors, and the Lord. If you just now prayed that prayer in your heart, here at the front or there in your seat, Tim, when you prayed that prayer out loud, I prayed it in my heart and I meant it with my whole heart. No one else looking. Let me see your hand. If you pray for me, hold them up high. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. Don't take them down. Keep them up high. There's one, there's two, there's three, there's four, there's five, there's six, there's seven, there's eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. Keep them up high, 26, 27, 28, 29. Keep them up high. Don't take them down. For just another moment, there's 30, there's 31, there's 32, there's 33, there's 34. Keep them up high. There's 35. Just for one more moment. Wow. You can take them down. Church, that's the ones that I could see, and some areas are a little darker than others. And I wasn't able to see as clearly, but at least 35 adults and young people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. Would you tell them you're happy for them today? <laughs> Woo! While our heads are still bowed, I, I, I'm going to ask no one else to look. Just the 35, and there may have been several more than that, but you know who you are. If you raise your hand just now, no one else, just those that raised your hand, look straight up here at me. Look straight up here. A whole bunch right over here, right through here, all across the front, up there in the balcony, several in the balcony. That's the most important prayer you'll ever pray in your entire life. this is the 24th day of February, Is that right? 24th day of February. And it's exactly right now. It is a quarter to 11. That's your moment. That's your time. That's when you get to tell people you were saved uh, in 2022. And now the the blood washed all your sins. Well, you don't have any sins. Right Right now it's as though you never sinned with this holy God. How do you overcome? By the blood of the Lamb. And now you have a testimony. Now you have a story. Now you get to start putting good stuff on your dash. If God gives you 24 hours or 24 years or more, you get to start putting good stuff on your dash. Here's what I want you to do, all 35 of you. When I let these folks go back to the seat in a moment, I want you to find a piece of paper, every one of you. And I want you to write your name, your address, phone number. There, there's probably a connect card or maybe someplace on your bulletin. You can find a piece of paper. It doesn't matter what kind of paper. Name, address, phone number, email. And then twice or three times larger than your name. I want you to write the word saved. S-A-V-E-D. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When we're through here, you can put it in the offering uh, bucket. You can uh, just leave it in your seat we'll find it. Or you can bring it back to our table in the grand entry area where I'll be right when we're finished here in a few moments. You say, Tim, is it vital? Is it important that I do this? It is only way we know who you are, how to pray for you and encourage you and to help you get started in your Christian life, you can bow your heads back down. And then there was a ton of people today who said, I know I'm saved, but I've gotten out the will of God. For some, it's a little thing, but the little things go to bigger things. And for others, it's just like Tim Lee, a life messed up and so far away from God. And today you're coming home. For Tim Leah took a landmine explosion, my two legs, a wheelchair for the rest of my life. But today, you heard the testimony and you're coming home. And God's waiting with arms wide open. He says, if we would confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Isn't that great? So I'm going to pray. I want you to pray. Pray in your heart. You don't need to tell me anything, but you need to tell God. Lord, thank you for these who said yes to Jesus. Their lives will never, ever be the same. This is their day. And then, Lord, for tons of people who have come and said, I want my life to be right with God. I want to live for Jesus. I want to put some good stuff on my dash. I want to have a story, a testimony. Restore the joy, give back the victory, and start a revival fire burning in the hearts and the lives of these. And then, Lord, we want to thank you for what you've done and the victories that's been won. In Jesus' name, I pray. Give these folks a big hand. Let them get back to their seat this morning. Let's give the Lord a big hand in the house of God here today. You may be seated. And I know we're on a time schedule, so I'm going to be very, very quick. And uh, Pastor, I know talked to you about the offering that's for our general budget that pays salaries, that pays. Uh, building payments that pays insurance, all the other stuff that goes with our ministry. We have a product table out in the grand area, the grand entry area where uh, you can go to and that money goes to our military ministry. We have a a full color gospel track called Deadline Vietnam the Day My Running Stop. We have a printer, we was talking to our printer about two months ago, they printed up another 100,000. We printed over 2 million of these tracks and we send them free to chaplains, to military chaplains and to prison chaplains. And uh, we just sent out a ton to chaplains all over Texas not too long ago. And we send them free. We don't even charge them for shipping. We pay the shipping on it. As long as they promise us that they'll use them and not put them on a shelf somewhere, but they'll actually use them. And we have numbers and numbers of people write our minister, to tell us that they got saved or they want more information about being saved, et cetera. So, what we have on the table back there is my story of uh, Born on the 5th of July. Now, if you got one when you was here two years ago, go ahead and get another one and share it with somebody. It, it's, a, it, it's a book that you can't put down once you start reading it. And it's, it's a lot of things that I wouldn't tell you from the platform, but it's in the book, all right? And, the, and the, uh, Ollie North wrote the forward for the book. It's worth getting the book just to read what he wrote in the forward. Senator Cruz, a good friend of our family for years and years, wrote a blurb, others as well. The books are $20. All $20 goes toward our military ministry and, uh, because the books are already paid for. If you buy five of these books, you get a sixth one free. Buy them and give them away. They make great gifts. And then then if you buy 10 books, you get another one free. And if you buy 15, you get another one free. But if you buy 10 books, you also will get this uh, book uh, American Heroes on the Homefront. It's not a Christian book. It's a war story book of Iraq, Afghanistan, American heroes. You need a box of Kleenex to read some of these stories. And then there's one Vietnam story in the book. That's our story. We were honored and humbled. It's a great book. If you Go to Barnes and Noble. You pay thirty bucks. If you buy ten books, you get that book free, along with your other two free. Born on the fifth of July. And Then the only other thing is our beautiful. I know it's not T-shirt weather right now in Lubbock, but it will get hot again. And uh, those uh, beautiful patriotic shirt with the uh, with a flag on the front. Then the statement I've made thousands of times: America, with living for, fighting for, we're dying for. And those shirts are twenty-five dollars. They're available in small. Uh, to triple large and then the uh, only other thing is a $40 package for $40 you get one of my books born on the 5th of July you don't get the hardback book you get my book you get a t-shirt and you get a lapel pin with a beautiful American flag that says stand up for America and I think we got three or four different versions of those they're $10 by themselves but you get one free with a $40 package. Write a check, make it out to TLN, put on a major card, of course, you can pay cash. Be much, much in prayer for this next service, and thank God for these 35 who gave their hearts to Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555 888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.